So basically the way that these questions are formatted is that the question itself is actually quite long. Okay. And as the question progresses, the answer should be more and more obvious up until the end where I'm going to say like for 10 points, name, blah, 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 blah. And then that will be a giveaway. But if you can get it before then, then it means that you're good at trivia. One parody of a scene involving this scientific phenomena is set to Gorilla's Feel Good Inc., where the laugh at the beginning is one of the involved characters saying, ho, 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 no. In that parody, the second verse that starts Windmill, Windmill is replaced with the mention of this phenomenon. In the scene involving this scientific phenomena, one of the central characters engages in isometric exercise in order to deceive the other central character. Aurora Borealis. Correct. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, uh, Aurora Borealis. Just to, just to finish it up as well, before this scientific phenomenon is mentioned, there is a discussion between two characters about regional dialects of upstate New York <laughs> pertaining yeah. to calling hamburgers steamed hams. The mention of the scientific phenomena prompts one of the characters to ask, at this time of year, at this time of day in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen, for 10 points, give the scientific name for the Northern Lights. By the way, Brian, you got the answer to that question while it was while you were still in the bonus. So oh, you nice. get you, so uh, you get actually get an extra uh, five points. So the thing I love most right. about that scene truly is Chalmers saying, "Can I see it?" Yeah, <laughs> instead of going, "No, no." <laughs> Borealis. At this time of year, in this part of uh, Lordran, it localized entirely in Sense Fortress. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yes. I mean, can I see it? And then you just get you see it like the meme of the guy being thrown off by uh, the Iron Golem at the top. No, <laughs> no, just Gwendolyn. Help! Help! <laughs> no, no, Gwendolyn. Just the Northern Lights. <laughs> so many Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only Simpsons slash Dark Souls fan podcast. Uh, I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. And joining us today, we have a very exciting guest, somebody who many of you most likely know or have heard uh, in some way, shape or form. Uh, he is a PhD in English from the University of Illinois, Chicago. He is the host of the fantastic video game centric podcast, No Cartridge, which actually just celebrated its 200th episode. Yeah. You were to say celebrated you guys being guests. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's we played as prompto. You that's know? right. We sure did. Yeah, uh, it's the and, biggest thing to celebrate. Its focus, uh, as, as you stated in that 200th episode, is uh, its focus is on people, their work, and the way it expresses the humanity its creators saw in the moment of its creation, which I Mostly thought was with actually... Mostly video games, though. So yeah, with video games. Yeah. With video games. I thought that was pretty cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No, it's just great to be here. After such luminaries, uh, Scott and Josh. Uh, That's right. Put a, what a treat. We're, we're just poaching your guest list. That's well, exactly I was right. never on my yeah. guest list, so it's, it works for me. <laughs> we, we go back a ways. Um, yeah. I I've now produced, what, four installments of the yes, podcast? Have, Live you, a caveat now? You so. have, you have, yeah, it is four, which I think makes you a pro at this point. Hell yeah, dude. Dude. You're you're no longer an amateur deucer. Wow. <laughs> oh boy. That's pretty good. Um, that's really, really cool. It also sounds like producing is uh pooping. It's just another word for pooping. So one like other you're thing. An amateur deucer. <laughs> that's pretty good. 
pretty solid. That's, yeah. that's unlike unlike my deuces. Because that's what happens when you become a pro deucer is they become solid. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Um, they pay so, you for it. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, Trevor, you you wrote a book uh, which was published a few months back called Story Mode. So uh, the book basically follows. So the idea in the book was to kind of write about. I noticed that there was some difficulty in. Uh, thinking about games over a long stretch when even when they're supposed to be kind of like the same thing right so like a, a mm-hmm. series like we'll be talking about dark souls today dark souls it has it a little easier than other ones but like final fantasy is the one i always use as an example because it's like massive right like 1985 to present um yeah and it's all ostensibly uh, the same kind of like thing right like because it's mm-hmm. all under the same name this is this is you know the idea um except for chrono trigger except yeah. for chrono trigger which is um, <laughs> and we'll leave the podcast which, right now which which <laughs> we've been vindicated in knowing that it's actually just a poor reskin of final fantasy 5 which no one played in the west until uh recent years it is not a poor they got re- away with this it. is like even worse <laughs> I, oh god you're genu- trevor's genu- now, you're I'm just, gonna, now i'm just gonna completely making we need up you. false I'm things hovering over the leave button <laughs> Um, it can't just be the three of us talking about Dark Souls. We're big dum dums. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I was so, sort of thinking about like how these uh, series kind of evolved over time, um, and, and you know the ways they change and why. And and the thing that I noticed while writing was that a lot of the the change has to do with uh, essentially the ways that creators uh, interact with audiences. And so like creators basically giving up parts of their vision to audiences or creators deciding that like, hey, you know, like I'm going to stand firm on this. And then audiences like reading the text in a particular way or like mm-hmm. so Dark Souls 2 is a great example of this sort of like mm-hmm. the initial critical backlash against Dark Souls 2. And then the critical reevaluation of Dark Souls 2 is a big like storyline of how the whole series has been understood. Um, right. So I got really yeah. interested in this kind of like relationship between the two, the the artist and the audience, and uh, and sort of wrote a book about how a bunch of series and some genres. So like I do a chapter on horror games and first person shooters because um, much like the quiz bowl, I make the rules and uh, there are no points <laughs> scored. Um, <laughs> the rules are all made up and I'm Drew Carey. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it, it was it was fun. And like basically just looked at how these uh, these genres and these series developed over time and 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 produce the things that we recognize today. But, you know, not necessarily over a particularly linear course. Sure. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, whose line because we're actually going to end this episode with a hoedown about Dark Souls. Oh, that's so great. I hope so just, I hope. Yeah, have that, Hope have you're that in already. your back pocket. Yeah. yeah coming which, up with which lines the, for Lodran. <laughs> which of the which of the famous guys have you gotten on the show today? Oh, uh, Wayne Brady. Oh, yeah, he'll good. be on yeah. the power. Okay, yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. Contractually, we cannot do the Wayne Brady sketch to him. He, right yeah he, he's yeah, on, yeah the thing is like wayne wayne is of course on the west coast so like he was only able to come yeah. on a little bit later so that that is an uh, that is an option but you do have to pay 4500 more dollars on cameo in order to get him to do the wayne brady sketch for you it's worth it really i mean yeah it's good i hope um, to get to the point where i can be like i mean i'll do it for 4500 dollars. like you know there you go. so we're today to talk about dark souls yeah we sure we sure are in the beginning in the age of ancients yeah. there was fog there was dragons there was a furtive pygmy that we just won't talk about That's for right. two games just ignore it Love we'll come back in the pygmy. dlc no uh, just like yeah 
Just just live live the live the mystery of the furtive pygmy. There's no yeah, reason we so ever needed to know. This is a game that and you talk about this in your essay, Trevor. It's it's a very over mythologized game and not mm. as in the lore within the game, but in how it's talked about the way it was created, how it and its predecessor Demon Soul in hushed whispers at yeah. the back <laughs> of churches. All of these talks, ideas talks. of like who was Miyazaki? It How is very biblical in that way, I guess. Yeah. It's originalists. Yeah. Gnostics, <laughs> Trinitarians. <laughs> yeah. I believe in the triune, the triune Miyazaki. Gnostics are the and ones who think Armored Core has something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that make Dark Souls 3 the Book of Mormon? <laughs> no, yes. that makes Armored Core 5 or whatever's coming out the Book of Mormon. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, good. So we start with From Software. Uh, in the late 80s, they're founded as... A, basically accounting software they make stuff for home use not necessarily for businesses but it's it's business type applications and in their downtime between the time that they're sort of shipping to different people that they have contracts with they'll make games here and there cool just on their breaks they'll make little games for each other and somewhere around 1994 they decide what if we actually make a game what if we do it for real and they settle on the PlayStation 1 and they make Kingsfield, which was inspired largely by the game Wizardry. And you'll see that come up again. Wizardry apparently has quite a bit of influence in Japan specifically. And Wizardry 1 has been re-released over and over and over and over Wizardry again. has like remarkably deep roots. I saw Wizardry, yeah. Wizardry come up again and again. I don't know if it's because I wasn't a PC gamer then or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's why I never touched it or if it's an American versus Japanese thing. Although I've talked to Americans who absolutely love Wizardry. Like it's it is it is an incredibly fertile game in that way. Kingsfield comes out as a launch title for the PlayStation. It wasn't doesn't come out on the exact same date, but it's 1994. I don't think that was. I think if something comes out within two weeks of the launch, it's a launch title. Well, certainly uh, back they then. didn't have the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they didn't have the same sort of delineations that we have now for that sort of thing. Right. <laughs> that, and all the worse for them. It's so cool having those delineations. I yeah. think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so Kingsfield is a dungeon crawler, like in the most literal sense. All yes. you are doing is crawling very slowly through a dungeon, uh, killing some things, talking to some guys who don't have faces, but you you don't leave the dungeon. You're always in the dungeon. The early reviews for it were kind of across the board. They weren't like fully polarized as in like it stinks or it's great, but like some people liked it a lot. Some people didn't really like it. But word of mouth eventually got the sales to pick up and it did well enough that they made another game. They made another game. In like three years, they made three Kingsfield games. Mm-hmm. Um, and released two of them in the United States. So Kingsfield 2 was released as Kingsfield 1. The classic. Kingsfield the classic 3 was Kingsfield 2. Yeah, yeah. Magic. Like, just like Final <laughs> Fantasy, yeah. 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 Which Final uh, Fantasy is this? Use the correct numbers or... <laughs> can, you play as, can, can you play as Prompto in, uh, in Kingsfield? Or uh, well, is that... the theory goes that as long as you believe it, you are always playing as Prompto. <laughs> By 1998, uh, From was still, still making accounting software, but this interview that I was reading, they talked about how they had set up the game design studio as the core of From's business. The armored core. Boom! Oh, oh. oh yeah. So they became sort of a mid-tier developer. They didn't make triple-A games. They didn't make something to compete with Halo or Jade Empire or whatever the cool kids were playing. Mm -hmm. And It was Jade Empire. 
<laughs> that's what the cool kids were playing. Yeah. All those, all those so, like hard rock, like <laughs> rock and roll essays about Jade Empire. We all remember them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it still dominates the conversation today. I mean, I, I play guys, so many guys, Jade likes. We said this would not be a Jade Empire podcast. <laughs> it's crazy how the conversation the, always comes back to Jade Empire. Yeah, yeah. As, as, as the bullies were dipping my head into the toilet to give me a swirly, they were saying, this nerd doesn't even play Jade Empire. <laughs> you were trying to tell them. Of course I do. Of course I do. So they, they had four production lines. And they were basically able to get a game released every three months for a while. So you got a lot of Armored Core games. You got a lot of um, Tenchu. Kingsfield actually kind of delayed a little bit, but they made a couple games that were essentially Kingsfield just under a different title. Mm -hmm. And uh, A pattern they would repeat. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? Uh, But yeah, Armored Core (laughs) became the core of their game development core, which was the core of their business. Are you happy oh, now, AJ? Wow. I've I've never been more turgid, if that's your question. <laughs> Nor has the discourse. This is my least favorite episode yet. Just just <laughs> wanted, just wanted to throw that out there. Least, least Would you favorite say episode. this is the dark souls of our uh, episodes so far, Josh? I would say that this no. is the darkest the darkest that my soul has ever felt while recording this podcast. That's for fucking sure. Now is the dark souls of our discontent. Oh, One boy. thing I'll say about about Kingsfield is and it's just something that yeah. I didn't really realize until I sort of like looked a little more into it is, you know, Kingsfield, is, if you look into if you look at it as like someone who just like plays from games now or like yeah. is kind of interested in Dark Souls, it looks real janky and weird. Um, I mean, you don't mm. just have to hear it from like a friend of my show and excellent games critic Dia will tell mm-hmm. you that Kingsfield right. is absolutely the truth and really, really good. Um, she's also a big Souls fan, so it's not like a, you know, um, like this one over this one or whatever. But like they have a massive following like the Kingsfield games are really easy to sort of overlook as like sort of funny proto Dark Souls stuff. And not, not that you're doing that, but like if anyone in the yeah. audience is. No, they absolutely have their own. Oh, my God. Balance and their own installed sort of fandom. It, it, and um, it's, that was what I was going to say. Like it's a ma- it's a huge game, particularly in Japan. Like it is yeah. a massive, massive production uh, and and like a concern uh, to the point that like I, I feel like you can look at it and be like, oh, this is like. This is some dumb PS2 game or PS1 game in the same way yeah. that people th- looked at like Drakengard before the the near game sort of got popular again. Oh, right, right, right. And, and so th- that's why it's so interesting because you have not even three years, two and a half years, they released three King- Kingsfield games and then Kingsfield 4 doesn't come along until the PS2 era. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you don't get another official full-blown Kingsfield game. You get a couple re-releases. There's a, like a... Uh, sort of build your own Kingsfield game that gets released. The the, the play as Prompto of Kingsfield, but, yeah. But the center, yeah. yeah it, <laughs> even though Kingsfield is still kind of a big part of their press and they're the people who made Kingsfield, at least in Japan, they're much more focused on Armored Core. Sure. Um, and releasing a few things like Lost Kingdoms, which I think is the first RPG that came out on the GameCube. Um, things like that. Yeah. So this brings us to Hidetaka Miyazaki. No relation, of course, to the animator or to the child murderer in the 1980s. The son of both the animator and the child murderer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> sort of a three men and a baby situation, actually. <laughs> yeah. Also, a uh, little known fact, the uh, Fritz Long movie M is uh, is based off of Miyazaki. <laughs> Oh. The, yeah, that's um, famously Peter Lorre is playing Miyazaki in that movie. Uh, not Hidetaki, but his father, the child murderer from the 80s. The other thing about that, it's the, it's three men and a baby. And also the baby is murdered. That's yeah. kind of like yeah. the, 
<laughs> this is why you always hear in the Hall of the Mountain King being whistled through all of the Miyazaki games. That's correct. Um, That's correct. <laughs> Mostly by the crestfallen knight, you know, it's usually. <laughs> so Miyazaki grew up reading library books and he'd typically pick books that were beyond his reading level and he'd play tabletop games, especially sorcery. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons as well, but also sorcery was one that he specifically mentions in an interview. And uh, he applied to a couple game studios out of college, didn't get the job, went to work at Oracle and made office software and did that for years. The office and software scene in, the, in these years must have been so cool. Oh, man. <laughs> like every just every, like, like, dot com is booming. And every like, yeah. serious like game designer. It's just like, hey, what do you think you're going to do once we're done making office software? Like, oh, I'm probably just going to make the best video game of 2020. Yeah, me too. Imagine, yeah. imagine, imagine holding down an office job, building office software in like, I don't know, 2001 and being like, you know, my heart's not in this, but I can't wait until, you know, this thing be, until I can cash out my office options here and move into my real passion of edutainment. I'm yeah. really going to fucking kill it. Yeah. I really want to program geo safaris and my job here at Microsoft will hold me over. Exactly. Then. And, 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 and once I get into there, the sky's the limit, you know? Do, do you think Miyazaki was just staring at his screen at Oracle being like, oh, God, doing office software is like the dark souls of programming. <laughs> 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 just like light bulb, write that one down. Bing. Or yeah, I so got... he didn't he didn't play video games that much growing up. I think he got I think he was somewhat into them, probably played them at the arcade or something. But at some point he played Ico mm. and was like, Oh, fuck, you can do a lot more with video games than people are doing right now. Um, you can create these really original narratives. And somehow was like, you know what? I'm going to leave my job at Oracle and become a game designer for real this time. I actually want to do it, like really want to go for it. It's really interesting how similar his story is in some ways to uh, Kojima's story of like, yeah, guy who was doing something Ooh. classically sort of profitable. Um, and then yeah. like, it's just like, man, I just really want to make cool video games that nerds are going to get excited about. Well, and, and, and that's, that's the wild thing. Cause he, He's 29 years old. He applies for some jobs, but he, like that's a weird age. You're not just out of college. You're not an established professional in the field. You're trying to get in here. And so then here's this mid-tier studio that's like, yeah, come on. We need programmers for our next series of Armored Core games set to come out in the next month. And uh, so he works on some Armored Core games. They're also really excited because he can make some office software in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can also make an accounting program. Oh yeah, my God. He, that's he like takes the, classic, huge, the classic two for one. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he takes a huge pay cut. He's, he's not making anywhere near as much money as he was making over at Oracle. But sure. he he moves up the ranks. He ends up directing a couple of armored cores. I've never played an armored core game. I, I, oh, I remember really seeing them on the shelves, but they're 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 much more like accessible, right? They're kind of they're straightforward. Ha they're, they're hard. I mean, it, okay, they're not you know they're not fantasy games. Like they they're yeah. mech games, and mech games have right. their own sort of like dynamic and vocabulary. Like I yeah. feel like even the most accessible mech game is uh, <laughs> like baffling to anyone who doesn't like mech stuff. 
where it's like, yeah, you know, you're just going to have to know what guns belong on this. And like, eventually you're going to have to upgrade all the armor and leg struts. And like, you know, like, do you want treads on this or not? Like, it's not just about if it looks cool, although it does. Like, <laughs> The first and only mech game I've ever played is 13 Sentinels Aegis's Rim, uh, which is, I would say, charitably, maybe have like a fourth of a tech game and then mostly just a visual novel. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, that, that's a good one to start with. I feel like most people I know started with Mech Warrior. Mech Warrior, Mech, Mech Warrior 2 specifically. Yeah, yeah. I, I started with Steel Battalion. I bought the $200 controller and uh, no. That was cool of you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you did that. And I'm sure every single person was like, I just have to have sex with this person. <laughs> did you use it to play Jade Empire? I was was say, that, between, was that between, <laughs> between that and Jade Empire, you must have just been rolling in it, Brian. My, I get, okay, so I, I don't know. This what is this all controller. just fostering. I had a GameCube. I had neither of these games. I, well, that's what I was going to say. But you I, did I, have I Fire picture, Emblem, Brian, and I have your copy. So that is, that, that's something. Fire I Emblem is what the, really gets you pussy. Yeah. I couldn't picture the $200 controller, so in my head, I just picture the microphone that you had to use for Odama on the GameCube. Oh. I mean, probably just... $200 now, yeah. We get to um, the late 2000s. Uh, From has this deal with Sony. Sony's like, we want to publish a new IP. And From's like, oh, maybe we can kind of shoehorn a new-ish Kingsfield, but into this new Demon's Souls. The most unwieldy name in video games. Oh, my God. Demon's no. Souls. No, it's good. <laughs> it's, no, it's no Atelier Iris, but... Um, That's true. Uh, yeah, Wait, so demons. Atelier. I've never actually said the word atelier. I think you're right. I think that's how it's said. It's not the most unwieldy name in games. And I, I, I'm doing this just because Josh said to wrap up, and I, I like to, I like yeah. to do things that are against what he says. Appreciate um, <laughs> yeah. Jeff. Yeah. yeah, this is the revolution, Trevor. This is the day we take Josh down. No. <laughs> uh, the most unwieldy name in games is uh, the Undernight series, uh, which is an anime fighter. Oh the man, current one is called I wanted to look it up just to make sure it's called Undernight in Birth EXE colon late bracket CL dash R end bracket <laughs> not much what's Undernight with you <laughs> that's awesome dude I love that and then I... there's, there's there's late CL dash R and late and then ST was the one before it so latest and then I don't know what late oh, CLR is supposed to be yeah it rules that's so cool <laughs> It genuinely sounds like it. That so sounds development like on Demon's Souls was not going well. Whatever was happening, <laughs> it was bad. Well, uh, that's not Sony... a pattern that'll repeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Sony was looking for a first-person action RPG somewhere in the vein of Oblivion. I think people blow that a little bit out of proportion um, in terms of, like, they wanted to make the Elder Scrolls. They wanted an Oblivion killer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, this is not the studio to do an anything killer at this point in time. They were trying to do still a first person game. That was a mess. And so Miyazaki was just kind of in the right place where they said, okay, we need to fix this. This is a problem. And he said, I could do this. And his thought going into it was like, I could overhaul this. And if it's a failure, well, it's already a failure. So no one's going to give a shit. Right. Right. And pretty good. And if it turns out good, then I got to do a thing that I wanted to do. Sure. <laughs> so he comes in to salvage it. They kind of have this infamous TGS show where like the first day everyone's in the character creation screen. They get booted out because they spend so much time on that trying to, I don't know, maybe not make the character look ugly. And it's like, no, that's, that's the wrong that's way to do it. Yeah. It's not yeah. possible. Yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> Dumbass. Who the fuck would do something and like so that? And so then the next day they 
sort of flashed the character creation screen on and then advanced past it so <laughs> people got more of an opportunity to play. There was one, I think it was the IGN playthrough, where they're like, combat is far too simplistic. So obviously things were not going well. They were not mm. getting whatever point they wanted to cross. Wow, uh, the wow. Sony uh, president, Yoshida, played it and said, quote, this is crap. This is so unbelievably bad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So then Sony decided we're not going to localize this, which ends up biting them a little bit. So they say, yeah, Yeah. I mean, we're publishing it, but we're only publishing it in Japan. We're not giving it an American or European or Chinese release. And at this point, the game is baked. Like, there's nothing they can do because they're close to gold already. So it's not as if they can, like, and they've sunk the money in. So, like, they just got to go for it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So they're they're gonna ship it no matter what. And uh, Miyazaki mentions the game is again inspired by wizardry. Uh, there's a forum post that I found before the TGS show even where someone was like, "What the fuck are they talking about? Who who plays wizardry?" <laughs> I, like, I hope it's not inspired by wizardry. Nerd. That game's very old. Like, just like absolutely being like, oh, this game's based off of wizardry. <laughs> uh, so the the game gets released. There's not a hype train around it. They're they're just putting it out there, and it sells okay when it first comes out. Then it starts to sell better. And weeks pass and it sells even better because just like the first Kingsfield, this game ends up having excellent word of mouth. And right, more yeah. and more people are saying, hey, you got to get in on this on forums to their friends. Uh, most of them probably don't have friends. But um, <laughs> then Atlas <laughs> picks up this game and publishes it in the U.S. and the EU. Mm. So that that was a that was uh, good for Atlas. Josh yeah. has put it as his background. Uh, what appears to be the Demon's Souls uh, cover box art, <laughs> but it says Christ. Squids Games. Oh, very <laughs> instead. nice. I can't see the top if maybe it's the face of one of the actors. It's in not. Squid game? No, it's oh. just the text. Josh Sawyer posted this the other day, and so I just oh, felt like funny. it was too good not to. I, I not, feel not like to... the, the thing that is catching you the most with this name, uh, AJ, is yes. that you keep pronouncing the possessive S too much. Yes. I feel like you yes, just go Demon's Souls. Demon's yeah, Souls. Demon's Souls. Is Demon's Souls. But to be clear, the game is called Demon's Souls. Like it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Demon's Souls. Well, you got to pay the troll toll to get into that Demon's <laughs> Soul. You got to pay the troll toll to get in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's I, I think it's in a, an unwieldy title that actually ended up paying, I think, dividends uh, when it when it came to the States. There was a lot of talk about people like, oh, it was like it was so like, you know, maligned and it wasn't until Dark Souls that like this thing really took off. But God, critics loved Demon Souls when it oh, came to yeah, the no, States. Yeah, that is that is yeah, not across true, the board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the beginning, the critics were were very fond of this game in Japanese press and in American press and in British press, except for Yahtzee. I remember Yahtzee didn't like the game. Oh, yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. then, because then he, I remember he but also he, he then, turned over a new leaf after after, after Dark, Souls. Dark Souls. Yeah, he played, yeah. he bounced off Dark Souls and then came back to it and then finally broke and through. Speaking yeah. of, so we get to Dark Souls by well, well, Sony doesn't sell its IP; it just holds on to it for forever. Good so for them. They wanted to make another fantasy. From wanted to make another fantasy game to capitalize off this. Maybe Sony just didn't want to make another Demon's Souls, and so <laughs> they made Dark's Souls, and. Uh, <laughs> So Dark Souls begins. (laughs) Dark Souls begins with the uh, dragons' (laughs) wars. Um, This great opening cutscene about a big war with dragons that has very little to do with what you're going to encounter in this game. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, I hope I hope you don't think it's going to 
Yeah, for hey, a world where all the dragons died, like, there sure are a lot of dragons in this world, is what I will say. If you, if you go, like, if you really, really do your best and go to, like, the secretest part of the game, you can find a bunch of dragon skeletons. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's, it's really cool. And you get to be like, oh, this is where the dragons went to die. And you find like the last living dragon that isn't like a bone dragon or an undead dragon or something. And it just yeah, and you, like, you can cut off his tail and get a weapon. I just found so, out today. Oh, really? So you, you shouldn't you, do that. I know. He doesn't your... attack you, though. He's like, yeah, take my tail. I think he's a little oh, yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah, he just hands it to you. Yeah. It wow. is a follow up to Demon's Souls, taking a lot of the things that yeah. people really liked so much about that game, which is to say difficult but fair. The mechanics are set up in such a way that with a couple exceptions, which are in there mostly for comedy value, there aren't like super cheap deaths. Yeah, Instead, right. it is regularly tuned to a high degree of difficulty. Yeah. And the mechanics are such that if you are the kind of person who is able to take a series of mechanics and develop your skill in those mechanics to conquer the challenges that the level designers put in front of you, you can have some fun with the game and eventually you can yeah. win. So, so the game has this interesting story element, which is we're, we're at sort of the end of the world where a lot of the rules that have bound this world are starting to fray a bit. And one of them is that humans just don't really die anymore. They die and then they reemerge. And the more that this happens, the more this just kind of fucks them up and makes them weird. Yeah, they start looking real bad. So yeah. you awake in an asylum where some people or some folks somewhere have just started dumping some of the some of the worst dead people, I guess. First, you're surprised by Oscar of Astora, who rescues you from your cell. Um, and as Oscar Pistorius goes on his way to. Uh, no. OK, that one fell flat. That's fine. No, I, I chuckled. And then and then he gets killed by a trap in one of the funnier <laughs> moments of the game. Uh you you know you have a little bit of a tutorial area you have little marks on the ground that tell you what button to push you beat a little boss it's not super hard at the beginning right mm -hmm. then you go up a hill and then there's a giant bird and the bird takes you to Lordran. Yeah, the bird takes you to where you're going to end up having a harder time. Yes. <laughs> I, I love, uh, I had forgotten this, but in, in like the cutscene in between going from Undead Asylum to Lordran, uh, it says, in the land of lords, Lordran. Yes. As if, as if she forgot the name and is just making it up. She's riffing. Uh, uh, Lordran. 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 <laughs> Um, <laughs> what was interesting to me was how vertical it is. Yeah. Mm. It's very strange to have a game where you're climbing that many ladders going up and down as much as you're going in any kind of horror, especially a three dimensional game, right? Like it makes right. sense if you're playing Castlevania or something, cause you go up and down, you go left and right. But Usually a three-dimensional game just isn't going to have that much of a, a vertical component. And this is a game where everything is incredibly tall. Uh, that's what struck me first. And there, there's this sort of sense that you're on equal footing with the enemies in the game. Like, they're guys who are just like you who have just been dying too much and getting really weird. Right. They also move slowly. They also have their their sort of set attack and defense as though they have the same move set that you do. Yeah. They also revive when you rest at a bonfire. Yes. So that that brings us to first how the game saves 
because the way that this game does checkpoints is really different. It saves all the time. Every time you die, it saves. Right. You go back to a checkpoint, but it's not a save point. Um, the bonfires are a reset point that you you come to. Time is still persistent. You have weapons that degrade over time, but barely, and it's kind of a weird mechanic to, to have in there. Um, right. But if you've used a perishable item, that perishable item is still gone after you're after you're dead. And every time you rest at the bonfire, it heals you. It fills up your shit. It offers you a little safe sanctuary from the enemies, but it resets everything. All the enemies, save for a handful uh, in very particular parts of the game, all come back to life right where they were the last time you encountered them. Right. And in a very like uh, um, Dungeons and Dragons sorcery, Mm -hmm. sorcery uh, sort of way, you know, the, the, the people that don't reset are the big bosses. And then also this is the more tabletop thing. Um, the sort of like secret special guys, like the little crystal lizards or, um, yeah. you yeah. know, your, your, your knight, your silver knights who might drop a neat little item or whatever, like, yeah. Or like that, a giant boar, uh, in the, in the intro area on your way up to fight yeah. the, the two gargoyles. Thank God uh, he doesn't. Respond. Yeah, yeah, and, and, the, oh, and the bullshit dudes who shoot darts at you in Blight Town, they also don't come back because the game knows how bullshit they are. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and we'll talk a little bit more later on too about like the connection between this game and games of the same yeah. genre as well as slightly different genres. But I think that's just a good point for all of us to sort of keep in the back of our head is not just the core mechanics of the game itself, but also how these mechanics fit or don't fit into what you are sort of expecting from a game like this. Mm -hmm. And that's a question that I actually had for you, Trevor, because, you know, one of the things that you write about in the essay and story mode and and all these other things is like about those, I guess, core mechanics and the way that they work together, particularly with regard to the difficulty of the game to sort of create this cohesive experience. And I guess I'm curious for you in playing the game, what the big things were that jumped out in your experience. Um, So, I mean, the, the way I approached the game was I got it for free on, uh, on Xbox's old like game pass before game pass was like, you get every single game in the world Mm -hmm. for $10 a month kind of thing. (laughs) Oh, cool. Uh, And and had you played demon souls before playing Mm -hmm. dark souls? Dark souls was your first game. Mm -hmm. I got demon souls pretty much like in the middle of dark souls because I, I mentioned how much I was enjoying it on Twitter and, um, uh, Twitter user Juchi Main um, mentioned that he really liked Demon Souls and, and and sort of like described that that was his favorite one. And so like I wanted to play it. Um, didn't really figure out how much I liked that one until much later. But yeah, I mm. played Dark Souls first um, and, and only because Great. it was free. And it was really like along the period of time where I was kind of getting back into games. Um, I've mentioned this before, but like I, I played a lot of video games when I was a kid and up into my teen years. And then college, I played a lot less. And then in... Um, I don't know, in grad school and like just before grad school, I got a an Xbox 360 as as uh, like a, a secret gift from like, I guess, my cousin's husband during Kristen's bridal shower. That is a wonderful cousin husband, man. <laughs> yeah, that honestly, is a wonderful like, was, fucking gift. Yeah, Shout it was out funny. To that guy. Like, he was like, he was like, yeah, I was like, wow, thanks, man. This is great. And he was like, yeah, there's a Godfather game for it. I really like. And I remember that to this day because like, <laughs> I feel like he might be the only person in the world who really was like super into the Godfather game. I, I had gotten back into gaming a little bit from the the getting the 360. But like, really, a lot of what I got back to in gaming was like when I had my first kid, like it was just nice to play it like the five minutes she was taking a nap or like 15 minutes or whatever. Like they, when they're sure, really yeah. able to take tiny little naps. Um 
And so I played a lot of Skyrim and then I got this game and I was staying up purposefully because I was driving back to Pennsylvania and we were doing it overnight uh, from Chicago. So I, I stayed up all night and slept through the day and then drove that next night. And so I had to force mm. myself to stay awake and I, I just played Dark Souls and I played Dark Souls for like seven hours straight. Um, wow. And just like just like I like basically just like kept hitting my head against the wall with it because I got to Firelink Shrine. And instead of going to um, the Undead Berg, which is what you're supposed to do. You went to the Skellyman? Did you yes. go to the Skellyman? Yeah, I threw yeah. myself oh, against Trevor, the skeletons no. for about three hours. And I just like, oh, wow. it was annoying. And then after a while, I realized like, oh, the whole point of this is that it's hard. And like, right. I was like, oh, the whole point of this is that like, it makes you feel really small and vulnerable. And like, you are constantly at risk of dying and being killed, even as you make the most possible progress. And I was like wow, this game's really cool. And then as I kept playing, yeah. I was like, actually, the core mechanic of this game is you being small and vulnerable and like the entire world can just crush you at any given point. And I was like, you know, every mechanic in the game, you know, from the fact that you actually can't ever just like wipe out a whole room of enemies and then move on, right? Like knowing that room is now mm -hmm. like quote unquote safe. Your first playthrough, you never get to the point where you're like so good you can't die, right? right. Like you're never yeah. like yeah. you're never overpowered. Um, and there's always a chance that like even the dumbest little thing can kill you. And just like the fact that like safe zones were so precarious and important, like it all combined for this really interesting, um, I don't know, this really interesting little game that made me think like, Jesus this is like a lot, like kind of how the world is kind of like how, like it feels to be like a person constantly mm -hmm. under threat and like, you know, mm. the, the t 21st century, um, it's very reflective of a kind of anxiety about, you know, just yeah. like constantly being at risk of being, uh, you know, thrown into an abyss or or just like taken down a peg by some random person you meet on the street or whatever. Um, and it just I, I feel like all of, you know, even more so. So I'm a big Dark Souls 2 defender, I'm a big Demon Souls defender. I, I am. I've played three. I have the fewest opinions on three. I think it's weird how they continued the story in ways that I describe in story mode. But yeah. um, I will say Dark Souls one for me is the most cohesive example of like every single mechanic just fitting like everything works yeah. to that central theme. Um, in, in a way that yeah. I like, I can't think of a game that does it better. I, I do want to bring up one of the things, you know, when we talk about the difficulty of Dark Souls and, the, and, and how hard things are and, and how much of it is sort of built on an idea of survival or whatever. One thing that this game has very deliberately ditched is any kind of inventory management that you have to do. Yeah. You can right. carry everything that you come across, which right. I found is one of the really refreshing things about the game. They really determined what they wanted you to struggle with and what things they didn't think were interesting and they didn't think it was interesting to bury you in your in your inventory screen having to clear out your shit every 20 minutes right and also because um, uh most of the story you know if you really want to dive into it comes from item descriptions and that's really hard to do if you're getting rid of items in order to clear your inventory <laughs> yeah. you know you're yeah. getting rid of a lot of flavor text um, um and, and the big thing that you are constantly managing from your possession is souls and souls are a really interesting mechanic that works both as experience and currency. And yeah. once you die, you drop them wherever you died, mm -hmm. which adds to another layer of stress and risk when Absolutely. it comes time to get them back, especially if it happens in a boss arena. 
Yeah. You know, you're having to run around and grab him and then try to beat that boss. Yeah. (laughs) Or use a homeward bone and get the fuck out of there and level up. If you die again uh, without recovering your souls, those souls disappear and actually reappear in someone else's game. Oh, it's like a little, little bug thing. Almost no one has seen these fucking things, but it is a mechanic that does exist. I I actually, so there was one time when I played the Dark Souls 1 remastered on stream. I don't think it saved anywhere, but like I was playing with my buddy Rob, um, uh, who is great at these games. And we, we were just that we were in the Tomb of Giants and I got completely murked by this like weird thing. I was like, what is this thing? What am I looking at? And Rob was like, I've never seen anything like this. And like, it just shot a beam at me and killed me. And I was like, what is happening? And we looked it up and it was one of those things. Yeah. So some of them uh, are just little fucking, they're like those little lizard things that you kill. They don't do anything. They just kind of skitter and then you can kill them and get some souls. And sometimes, yeah, they attack you. I think it's, I think it's if they're bigger, like if they have more souls in them, they become more, more likely to be the offensive kind. And, And I love, I love that that exists in a game like in a, in a, Game released in the 2010s, we were talking about this with Pokemon, how how much of the appeal of those first couple generations of Pokemon were about, like, the shit that you would share on the playground. Not just, like, oh, Mew is under a truck, but, like, the real things. Like, oh, there's this fucking power plant off over here, and there's a giant bird in it. It's like, there's still these weird mechanics that no one really has a good grasp on. Yeah. <laughs> like, like people have done videos on it on YouTube and there are, you know, wiki pages for this thing. And they're like, we don't actually fully understand <laughs> what this thing is supposed to do. Yeah. Or and they never really yeah. explain it because it's sort of yeah. like, yeah, whatever. Like, well, and joke, yeah. jokingly, we said earlier that, you know, people speak about, you know, of Dark Souls and like in whispers at the back of yeah. church. But I mean, that's kind <laughs> of what it is, right? Yeah. Like in terms of the lore, in terms of like what's even happening in the game, there is a, still a lot of things that are held up for speculation. And, you know, I think like the Internet sort of uh, like rallied around Vati Vidya as sort of like, OK, <laughs> yeah, this is Vati, the interpretation. Yeah. Uh, and I think that what he does is very smart and very good, but it's not the end all be all like yeah. if you don't agree with something in his videos then that's it's 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 like wibbly wobbly yeah. enough where you can make that right because his claim. entire point is drawing the line from a to b to c and telling a story about each individual piece which means yeah there's going to be stuff that doesn't necessarily line up with how you were so seeing it. something that that reminded me of actually is something trevor that you say in the book i'm i'm i'm, I'm i've got the the essay up here um that you say right in here the thesis of Dark Souls seems to be much the same as Demon's Souls, which is you can't ever really understand the world entirely, but you still must make choices within it. And yep. I think that's really yeah. interesting. I was hoping that you could elaborate on that a little bit more. So, I mean, basically, much like what I was saying about the the quality of like the game kind of like linking together all of the mechanics to make you like extremely precarious and frustrated. The world itself is constructed in such a way that makes you want to know more about it. Right. Like via the item descriptions, via all the things that are going on within it. The cryptic NPCs who are just speaking in riddles and then right, laughing exactly. under their breath at you. Yeah. But you can you can like you can follow most of their stories. Like if you meet them at some like random spot, you'll be able to do more of it. This is something in, in two that's even more uh, worked out where like you need a ton of stuff to go right to get someone's story all the way through. And a lot of it is just <laughs> yeah. like random. Um, or like not random, it's never like random chance, right? That would be even worse, but it's, it's like, 
or like somehow against the the spirit. It it's all stuff you can do, but it's stuff that you're never instructed to do. So like right. You know, except through maybe through like stuff on the ground, right? Like the suggestions that other players leave. So like yeah. um yeah. Uh I'm I'm forgetting his name. I'm bad with names, but the the um he's the guy everyone hates in the gold armor the, the golden crown dude yeah who kills the spoilers for dark souls who kills the fire who kills the fire chase uh the fire yeah, um, so there there's yeah. this guy yeah i can't Keeper. remember his fire name either he uh, um yeah he sucks you rescue him from a cell as you're gonna go and fight the 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 gargoyles he's yeah. just in this little cell in the back of this this church with the most least menacing voice you've ever heard in yeah, your life yeah, you can you totally let him out trust he's this like, guy cool and he walks out it's like almost a cutscene. It's kind of weird for that game. Then you find him at Firelink Shrine, just kind of staring at the firekeeper. You can yeah. summon him in that in that gargoyle fight, right? You can summon him mm-hmm. and Solaire Pistorius, Oscar Pistorius's brother, uh, who also killed his wife. Actually, fun fact. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but Solaire's wife was actually a bug. Yeah, she yeah. was a little bug. Weird bug that infested Don't worry. his mind. She gets her so, revenge. <laughs> so you. Um, you can team up with him and then you see him back at Firelink Shrine like other people who've shown up at Firelink Shrine and the marks that I saw in front of him were always yep. just kick. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I was going to say. by like, the ledge and you can kick him off the edge. If you it's want super to. Like, easy to kill him. him and if you do, you yeah. save the firekeeper and also there's like, it avoids this whole difficult fight, It's uh, which is also like optional. Yeah. But like this is the thing, right? Like there are messages everywhere. There's there's these item descriptions. There are the yeah. NPCs. You can see the whole map in, in a lot of places, especially if off the top of Sens. Right. Like the whole thing supposedly connects together, but like there's still parts of the game that we don't know. There, there's something interesting about the the community that that this approach to design yeah. creates. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And this so like approach yeah. to story. Yeah. I think that's what I was going to tr- trying to get to. Everyone should check out the snack collective. Wait, not snack collective snack covenant. But uh, <laughs> yeah, if you look the at snack the snack collective, what I yes. tried to start in college and uh, no one else really wanted to well, join. So because I wanted to make milkshakes for people. I thought that would be cool. My milkshake I, I made it because that you had to play Jade Empire to join my snack <laughs> yeah. uh, collective. That was so. a mistake. And uh, you just had too many people banging down your door. Yeah, like it was I know. Just too big and unwieldy. Is this the Jade yeah. Empire Club? No, <laughs> it's the snack club. I'm going to be honest, y'all. I have never played Jade Empire. No I one's very, played Jade Empire. Okay, no great. one's played fucking Jade Empire. I hear it's good. I don't know. But yeah, so like the fact that there's all this stuff, right? Like you could dig through the code and still not even get like to the surface of what's going on in these games yeah. is really like, you know, it it seemingly and does give everything to you and holds back so much by like a lie of omission that you end yeah. up sort of essentially getting this version of the world that, yeah, like I've given you everything Like you can, you can figure out this world on your own, like, you know, as good as anyone can. But Ultimately, the more you learn, the more you're frustrated, right? Like you can yeah. learn all the lore, and, but and, you're never going to learn about Gwyn's lost son. And, and the interesting thing, too, Until. is that like you you don't necessarily uncover everything, but you do fucking remember everything mm-hmm. that that game doesn't give you a map. And I'm terrible with navigating games and and places, most real life places. I'm terrible yeah, so at navigating I'm with you. Yeah. Dark Souls. I once I found Brian up, just I walking into a wall, just like yeah. he, walking. His walking animation was frozen yeah, and he was yeah. just clipping into a wall. Like, I haven't it's played tough. it in a couple of years, but I could pick up Dark Souls and I could get to any spot now because I know where everything is because the way that they have built it with a sort of density of challenges and variety of space, you really do get a sense for where every spot of the game's uh, geography is. And in addition to the um, 
the community of people who work on things online off of the game, there's also the bizarre online component that Demon Souls and Dark Souls uh, pioneered. This sort of asynchronous system where you can drop hints for other people, you can read someone else's hint, you can see how someone else died recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes they'll coordinate it, that people <laughs> will just jump off the... Yes. Yeah. You can actually get people to help you. It's it's hard today. If you're playing Dark Souls now, you're not going to find as many people. Right. But Except... still, still, if you fight uh, Ornstein and Smuff, uh, you're going to... Smuff? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a very cute version of Smo. There's, By the way, it, it is worth um, noting you say that, Brian, but there actually are still quite a p- few people playing the PC version. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's still like there's still quite a few people playing. I could never get anybody to help me with the fucking four kings, but um, you can always find no, people to no help one you. Plays the four kings. Everyone hates that fight. Yeah, you can yeah. you can get everyone to help you with with Arnstein and Smoo. And uh, <laughs> have you been hurt by the four kings? Contact the law firm of Arnstein and Smoo. We will represent <laughs> you with our hammer. Of justice. <laughs> and and the idea that this, this online stuff is about building community. And there are these covenants that you join that are ill-defined and mostly have to do with how you interact with people online, which starts to become its own separate game. Right? Yeah, like there's a absolutely. covenant just for people who have decided to kill, is it Guinevere? So if you wipe her out, uh, the whole place goes dark. And then there's a totally different covenant of people that comes after you in the darkened mm-hmm. version of Anne Orlando. Yes. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And I think one of the things that Dark Souls actually has or, or that the, the that From has struggled with with all these games is how exactly do they want to integrate that system because that seems to be the one that they change the most in terms mm-hmm. of how you open your your gates to let other players in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whether it's a perishable item, whether it's a non-perishable item or whether it's this humanity s- stat thing that disappears with your souls when you die, but you right. can pick it up back up. But then there's also a perishable item that you can pick up from rats and hold oh, on yeah. to I to be able to those get more rats of it. so much. Yeah. Oh my god. And and yeah. I think that that the intent there too, you know, cuz you get the rats in the depths just before you're going into um Blight Town. I think the intent was they wanted to get people to help others to through Blight Town, which just doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. You're alone in the big <laughs> puddle of shit. Yeah. And there's a story that's being told to you through that environment. You start out, at, you know, at the top of the city, you go downstairs, you go deeper down, and then you find that the world's sewage has just been flooding into this entire other <laughs> environment where people now live in the poison and the lava and the and the fucking tree that connects you to the the like foundational pillars of the earth is yeah. in the shit pool yeah um it's so yeah. gross so, so gross so i just wanted to take a second here to sort of pull up from talking about some of the nittier grittier components of the game and its mechanics which i think are worth talking about um to sort of give a i, I wanted to talk a bit about one of the other bigger picture things that we frequently talk about when we talk about Dark Souls. You touch on it, obviously, Trevor, in the book. Everybody Uh knows about it. It's the idea of like the get good uh, way of playing games. This idea that like, because it's so difficult, that's what makes the game what it is. And I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the case. Yeah. Now, with that said, 
I don't like Dark Souls. Um, I, I've been waiting up until this point to reveal my terrible <laughs> secret. This is um, like me in the Hamlet episode. That's why. That's yeah. why. I, you don't like Hamlet? No, I love Hamlet. I don't like the movie that we were. Oh, I was like, about. geez, what's, what's the weirdest thing in the world not to like Hamlet? No, I'm not Paul Rudnick. It's not the difficulty for me. There are a lot of games that I enjoy that are difficult. Um, Thief, the Thief games. Uh, I think sure. they're a lot of fun. I like the way that the environment works. I like the way yeah. that the levels are laid out. I like the way that the mechanics of the game interact with each other. There's a certain feeling to the uh, general atmosphere and environment of the game that's like so depressing to me and not in a fun way. Hmm. The, the the world of the game just feels so bleak in every regard. And maybe it's just because the world itself is so bleak right now that I just don't want more of that in my life. Hmm. Um, and, sure. and, and also at bottom, I don't find the mechanics fun. I don't like the way that combat feels. I don't like the way that the enemies feel. I don't like the way that my guy running around feels. I don't like the game. And so like yeah. some of those things, obviously, that you guys are talking about are issues with sort of this first iteration of Dark Souls that they yeah. would work on, like, you know, uh, making streamlining a little bit. But for me at bottom, the core gameplay loop is not fun. And there's yeah. a lot of other people who do share my opinion in this. But generally yeah. speaking, there are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens. No, but seriously, like generally speaking, when these sorts of concerns or, or these sorts of opinions are, are raised, the immediate answer is, well, get good. Obviously, you're not yeah. good at video games. You're not a real gamer. Uh, and therefore, you don't get it. So we'll talk more about that when we get back from a little break. Oh, hello there. I am Soler of Astora. I've come to the great land of podcasts, Podcastran, in search of a great deal. And oh, I seem to have found one. <laughs> Tell me this, friend. Have you ever been in the bathroom and been like, Hey, where's the switch? I can't find the switch because it is so dark. Like my soul. My dark soul. <laughs> then might I suggest putting a bug on your head? Oh, don't worry. It won't hurt the bug. Putting a bug on your head has many benefits like keeping your head warm and replacing your experience of reality with an endless stream of sunlight. So, if you want to be blinded by sunlight in what is probably a metaphor for blind optimism in the face of a dying world, then pick up your nearest red-eyed bug. Unless somebody were to kill it, say by joining the Chaos Servant Covenant hidden behind an illusory wall after the Quaylog fight, and offering 30 humanity to the half-spider-woman waiting there, and then finding a secret side entrance to Lost Isolith and killing a bug there, but not just any bug, remember. It must specifically be the red-eyed bug, which will give you more souls than the other bugs, which you can also cheese by casting Poison Fog or White Dragon Breath near the entrance and praying it hits the red-eyed bug. If somebody were able to somehow intuit all of that, then I don't know. Maybe find something else to put on your head. <laughs> A bug on your head. If you can't praise the father, praise the son. I'll give a little bit of historical background for when like Demon Souls came along and when Dark Souls came along because this is is still going on. You know, at, at this point, games had been getting easier, right? At the beginning of the 21st century, we started to come up with different techniques of of making games and and making them honestly better in a lot of ways. They were streamlining and one of the processes that they were streamlining was actually figuring out difficulty because we were starting to get real-time data on how people completed games. Right. Right. Um, what 
achievements or trophies were people getting. Nintendo got really neurotic about this, I think. But um, Nintendo neurotic? No. <laughs> <laughs> but Triple uh, H Japanese games are a big culprit of this, right? Like the big Japanese games, especially, started bringing in a lot of handholding. Kingdom Hearts two. It was like newsworthy that it had a two and a half hour long fucking tutorial. And then Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess comes along and it has like a three hour tutorial where it walks you through fucking like a whole dungeon's worth of material. And it's just holding your hand. And it's like, now that you're a wolf, smell using this, bite doing this. And then Skyward Sword was just, you know, the entire game was basically a tutorial at that point. Yeah. It just tells you every single time you encounter a, a wall that you can bomb, that you can bomb it, right? This led to um, uh, Phil Fish infamously saying Japanese games suck. Phil Fish. Jonathan Blow agreeing, but being but being more tactful. Uh, Blow incredible, and, and, incredible when you can make Jonathan Blow be the tactful right? one. <laughs> so Jonathan Blow, I mean, he cites the fact that it's over communication in games and it's a limit on player agency, right? It's not just that games are easier. It's that a game is just less fun to pick up and start doing things in because there's one thing you can do in one direction. Let me speak to Blow here real quick. I, I don't mean to interrupt. But <laughs> Blow, like, Jonathan Blow. I get really irritated with Jonathan Blow because all I've played of his is Braid. Well, because he's an irritating person. He's also um, irritating. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but the thing and about, I like his games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I like Braid just fine. But like, yeah. the Jonathan, thing about come Jonathan on the Blow, podcast. Go, we'll tell you how irritating you are. <laughs> it comes it comes like it actually comes to Josh's point in that like Braid famously has one of the most irritating mechanical like extras I can think of, which is it's not the main mechanic. The main mechanic is pretty stars. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, the stars. Right. Like the main mechanic is interesting, but it also it's not like you get a second way to play the game. You simply get like a frame from which to view the puzzles in the game, which is fine. I love yeah. the game Baba is you. And like that yeah. is legitimately just a game that has one particular way of doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's multifaceted. It's like weird. It can drive you crazy, but like it is one direction through the game. You change the text to get to the end of the puzzle in braid. You change the time to get to the end of the level. It's nothing yeah. terribly different. Although he does add modalities like waiting for a star to get to a certain place by leaving yeah. your game on for 18 hours. And that's <laughs> stupid. Like yeah. that's yeah. just, that's just <laughs> petulant and mean. And like the, the, the part of the dark souls community that really sucks is like the part that finds the petulant and mean stuff. Yeah. The yeah. best part of the game, like the, yeah. the stuff that's mean spirited within the game is actually pretty funny. Like, like yeah. AJ sort of alluded to, but like also like the, the, I, there's always this is part in sense fortress where you walk through and you're, you're kind of like, it's just when you start kind of finding your feet. So sense fortress for anyone who hasn't played dark souls is this famous sort of like mid game, uh, um, Rubicon where like, if you get past it, you can kind of typically beat the game if you, but many people don't. Right. It, yeah. It, it's, I, it's, I, ca I call it the murder house of snakes. Yeah. yeah. That's it's, it's, it's yeah, yeah. It's one that has a lot of, instead of just fighting against enemies and maybe there's one trap that doesn't reset after you die. It's a it's a house of traps. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with sort of a, a Zelda dungeon almost, except that there's not really a whole lot of and there's no puzzles. item that gets you yeah. through it. And there's, there's no, no save place. There's no save points. So you have so, to get through the yeah, whole except thing. Except for the dying. secret one on the roof that most people don't find. So yeah. basically, yeah. Trevor, what you're saying is the whole point of this part of the game is to just really annoy you a lot. Yeah, and, yeah. and intentionally does. And there's one funny 
reference to it where if you <laughs> it basically when you're getting your feet under you and you, you sort of like get a little overconfident, you walk into this one place in a rock. If you're even remotely, I mean, typically it's just like always the way this works. The rock crushes you and you die instantly. Yeah. And that's a very funny joke. Like yeah. even when it happens yeah. to you, you're just like, oh, it's Looney Tunes. <laughs> it really yeah. is Looney Tunes because you step in the hallway and you're like. What's that sound? And then you're hit by a boulder. Yeah, right. It's yeah. uh, it's the well, it's that moment in Home Alone two of that was the sound of a tool chest falling down the stairs. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because it happens to a snake b- before it happens before, to you. Yeah. You watch a snake man be like rah, and they get hit by a boulder and immediately die. And then like, you're like, well, uh, that, what a stupid <laughs> snake. And then immediately it happens to you. It's, right. And- and oh, that's so fun and that like that plays on the thematics of the game in, in a really yeah. fun way. But the stuff that really like and it goes along with what Blow says, like the stuff that does not work, right? Is like or that, that like is obnoxious is like people um coming and invading you and then like you know teabagging yeah. your body or like doing like the well you can't teabag in Dark Souls, but like doing like the You can like, do the, gestures that yeah, you are can do basically some pretty rough yeah. gestures. And like it's it's fairly like it's silly because like a lot of people who love Dark Souls are like, well, that's the beauty of Dark Souls. Like you just get ganked by anyone and everyone's like super tough and mean. And it's like, that's not really the point of the game. Like yeah, the, point, yeah. and the point of the game isn't like finding new modalities to make the game miserable for people or like finding yeah. the most difficult and like frustrating way to get through it. But for some people, it's like it can be like, oh, I'm going to no hit Dark Souls or I'm going to like. I'm going to get through it like I'm going to play like a naked run or whatever. Like, yeah, th- there are ways of doing it. If that's like how you like it, that's great. But like play it on a banana. Right. <laughs> There's also but, places where you can climb a ladder and just have a bunch of zombie dudes get burned a bunch of times. So you can build levels. Yeah. And right. And no, you're totally right. Make and it like, simpler. I, I think like I think the thing is like where you are, Josh, is like it, it, it's it's a matter of taste. We're like. If you don't like the way the mechanics work and you don't like the way the world yeah. is because like you want more fun games than like depressing ones, then I mean, I can't really say anything to tell you otherwise. That's perfectly reasonable. Well, And, and, and um, I think, too, that like, I, you know, I, I would never be like, well, because this game is not to my taste, because this core gameplay loop is not to my taste. Anybody who disagrees with yeah. me has bad taste. But right. that's kind of what I think often ends up happening with Dark Souls and games of this nature. 100%. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so yeah. Keiji Nafune also mentioned at the same time that, like, he thought Japan was five years behind uh, the West in terms of game design. He said Japan is dead in 2011. Um, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, okay. Jesus Mega Man, I guess you have some opinions. But um, one of the new villains in Mega Man is just Japan is dead, man. But then Jonathan Blow, like, specifically carved out, like, when he said, here's, here's the problems I have with Japanese games, excluding Dark Souls and Demon's Souls. Because Ooh. they they are working differently, right? They they're building around conditioning rather than saying, "Okay, I'm going to grab you now. You have to go over here. You have to do this uh, at this time." But really, the meme that comes out of Dark Souls is just, "Oh, it's hard." Right. So I was completely uninterested in this game for years because all I knew about it was like, "Oh, it's a hard game." I didn't know it was a deep game. I didn't know yeah. it was a game with an interesting world. I didn't know it was a game with this like really complex world map or a story worth telling. Just that it was hard and like the screenshots and the gifs and the videos I saw, it's it's kind of it's ugly. It's an ugly game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, but so, I, like I think like I think ultimately 
you know, where, where it comes down to not just, uh, you know, like get good or it's a difficulty thing or whatever is when you say something like, you know, if Josh says like, I don't like this game, it doesn't do it for me. Um, and you could say like, but look, there's this interesting element to it. I think most people can say like, okay, that's interesting. Even if it doesn't appeal. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. there's all sorts of games I don't like, but like someone could point out like, and say like, Hey, look, like, but there's this going on. That's kind of cool. And we're like, yeah, okay. That, that is pretty cool. Actually. I would um, also, yeah, I would also argue that get good is a fallacy entirely. I think oh, yeah. it's actually, I, I, I have been playing from software games, uh, for six years now and I have never once gotten good, uh, mm-hmm. except for Sekiro. Um, you know how people talk about with these games, how they bang their head against the wall and then they just have that moment where it clicks and all of a sudden they know how to play the game. I've only ever had that with Sekiro. Sekiro other- was made for that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I was battling the the ape uh, once his head was off <gasps> and he came at me with his sword and I perfectly parried him. And it was literally like, I know Kung Fu. And all of a sudden he couldn't touch me. You're uh, the first person in the world who found that moment on the ape. Yeah, yeah. The ape is usually where like people are like, this game has no. I mean, people being me, this game has no purpose. This game, the, well, there was a. a it's gag. just a rhythm game. game. Has no morals. No Sekiro class. is just a rhythm game. It is just ultimately. a rhythm game, except with yeah. the apes, where it is a nonsense game. Yeah, uh, I love well, Sekiro. Uh, specifically, it was yeah, yeah. It was. It's not even the first part of the ape. It's the second part of the ape because I cheesed the first part of the ape. It was the part where he gets actually uses his sword and where it's yeah. a fair, more of a fair fight. Anyway, neither here nor there, but. All the other games, I like barreled my way through. I leveled up to the point where I was so overpowered that I didn't have to fight the boss for the length of time that I think most people had to fight bosses. And sure. that's how I got through from some from software games. So if you're avoiding these games because you think they're too hard, there are ways to actually use the systems in place to get through it and survive and well, it, see the rest it, of the and game. I think, too, the thing the thing is for me also, again, I, I mentioned Thief earlier as sort of a counterpoint to this. And in the fact that it is a difficult game and it actually is a get good game, right? Like that Mm. is a game where unless you are able to master the mechanics of stealth in that game, which are, by the way, quite janky by year uh, 2022 standards, you know, um, you're not going to have a good time. Plus, it's too dark. You have to get a mod to make it brighter because it's like actually too dark. (laughs) Well, yeah, you can just download the Taffer Patcher. That's not that hard, Brian. We've been over this. Um, But what's interesting to me is that when people talk about this, when people talk about this, like get good thing, they're not just doing it in the context of saying, well, you need to get better at the game. They also oftentimes come at it from this point of almost like moral superiority. Right. Where yeah. It, it, oh, it, it, absolutely. The article that I pulled off of is, um, uh, I'll mention her again, but also because she's like, she thinks about Dark Souls a lot. Yeah. But it, it was on um, Dialacina's review of Pathologic 2 mm-hmm. in difficulty, mm-hmm. which Pathologic 2 is famous because... Um, Famous is the wrong thing. It, it's a really good game is, is one reason why it's famous. Uh, but yeah. the other reason yeah. why it became famous is because it inc- it's, it included difficulty sliders. It, like it, it yeah. modded them yeah. in when people were like, this is too hard. People lost their mind. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like the the, you know, like she, she writes, this is in her article. Pathologic 2 is getting difficulty sliders. And that's a good thing. It's from 2019 on paste. Um, yeah. And it, it, she starts it off by saying, uh, you know, path, basically what we've been saying the whole time, Pathologic 2 is an incredible game. It's also a game that I have strong reservations about because it can be soul crushingly difficult by design. Um, in fact, I posted a brief addendum to my review on Twitter telling them they should absolutely try playing the game as intended and then, well, cheat. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. And she said, like, you know, before we get to the before we get to the whole point of it, let's define what difficulty is, which I'll say just like as a sidebar is like the thing that you have to do um, yeah. in uh, analysis and no one does it. <laughs> it's just yeah. so frustrating. Like, yeah. The whole point of these terms is you have to define them and like no one bothers to define them. Um, people sure. just say like, it's hard or it's not hard. And they don't think about what it means, but she says difficulty is the subjective experience of mechanical impediment, often in combination to the player achieving their goals. So like basically difficulty in a game is how much the game tries to stop you from beating the game. Yeah. The experience of difficulty can be achieved in many ways, hyper-competent enemy AI, esoteric puzzles, damage, hit and health modifiers skewed against the player, limited resources. Difficulty is the way developers can attempt to tune player experience and the speed at which they progress and succeed at achieving goals. And then she adds difficulty is not synonymous with accessibility, which is the process of enabling as many players as possible to engage with the game. And that's like colorblind mm. options, subtitles, audio, visual cues, button mapping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that gives access to the game. It doesn't make it more difficult. Um, and it says she, she kind of goes on, but she says the, the sort of payoff here is because the subjective experience of difficulty is impacted by player skill and ability. It's subjective. What's intended to be challenging for one player will be a cakewalk for another and needlessly punishing for others. And she says the option to modify a game's difficulty by players is what I would consider fundamentally good game design and fundamentally in keeping with developer intent. And so the, the yeah. point here is, right. and I mean, it, Dark Souls doesn't have difficulty sliders and, and like it is it is extraordinarily boring. Nor does to, it like, have a button remapping, which is weird playing it on the switch because. Oh, yeah. The B button becomes the A button and the A button becomes the B button. And they yeah. Don't yeah. want you to fucking fix that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and that like that's that's all that's all true. Like, I think like, yeah, I think the. You know, it's hard and it's quirky and it's weird, right? Like the game has its quirks and yeah. part of the difficulty is just built into or baked into those quirks. Like it's a weird game. It's not an it's not like a typical game in a lot of ways. And, and that speaks to that. However, yeah. it's also true that like most games if they give you a difficulty setting it doesn't mean that you can't play it on the harder setting and it doesn't mean that you can't like yeah, enjoy yeah. the game it means yeah. that you're you're given that option and the developer is giving a way to access the game the get good thing is a problem because it suggests yeah. that accessing dark souls by losing so often that you can't like really make it through the game without cheesing it or something is not a valid way to access dark souls because it absolutely is yeah, like whether or not you want difficulty sliders, if the only way you can get through Dark Souls is to find a way to get Havel's armor, put that on and buff your strength set until you can't be hit by things. That's, um, yeah, do it like that's how you <laughs> that's how you beat yeah. the game. Then like it's all valid yeah. because it's all just getting through this terrible world. And like I'll add more esoterically, if you get killed a bunch of times and give up after 10 minutes, that's also a way of being in Dark Souls, because like mm. that's one of the ways that the story ends in dark souls. So like they get yeah. good stuff. You're the hollow that entire, maker, Yeah. Like, so, so I want to hang on, on the fact that people were mad. People were really mad about ice pick lodge adding difficulty slides. They were right? really mad. This was <laughs> not so ice pick mad. lodge being mad. This wasn't about artistic intent. This was about a bunch of people who have an identity in being good at these games or of being the best video game boy. If it's not even that, it's just in the fact that this game keeps people out of it. People I don't like. Yes. <laughs> um, and we saw, you know, with the 2000s, with that streamlining, with the two-hour uh, tutorials, 
with uh, Nintendo adding the assist mode where like they can just have Luigi run through the whole level and you can move on to the next level in New Super right. Mario Brothers Wii. Right. And and this uptick in a game design philosophy of making casual games, right? Phone games, Wii games, uh, Nintendo DS games. They are casual. They're for casual gamers. They're not for hardcore gamers, right? And we get this delineation. There is the hardcore gamer who is a type of guy, a new guy just dropped. <laughs> Dark Souls is coming out at the same time that Gamergate is is going through all of its its motions, uh, <laughs> you know. And so a lot of people feel like they're under siege, and that having this new truly mm. hard game, by which they only define by its hardness, not by any other aspect of this incredibly rich uh, story or yeah. world. Um, it's just that it's hard. It's just that it's for us. It's just get good, get good, get good. If you don't solo all the bosses, are you even a real gamer? Even right, though yeah. it explicitly right. tells you to summon for Ornstein and Smo. And it's they have an NPC to be like, hey, uh, cool. summon me for this next battle. Yeah. And they, it's even, hard. they even have you raid the shitty guy. If you're on the shitty guy plot route, if he killed, um, if he killed the, the fire lady yeah. down at Firelink Shrine, you have to raid him up there. So it's like, use hey, use the online connected feature. We've given you some <laughs> items now. You should uh, you should try that out. I think my hottest take <laughs> of all of this is that Ornstein and Smo is a terrible boss fight if you're by yourself. I actually think it's broken and deeply unfun. But if you have somebody there with you, it's, if you have two someone's there, and with if you have you, two someone's there rocks. with you, it fucking rules. But like truth, truly, like I think that you, that you are not fast. Like if you had like Dark Souls three mechanics of like the zippiness with which you could roll out of the way, I think that Ornstein and Smoke could be manageable. But yeah. with the yeah. way that Dark Souls is designed in its current form, you are way too slow and way too clunky. Even if you are like not wearing any armor and just like rolling around. It's it's deeply unfun because you're just waiting, 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 attack once, waiting, 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 attack once, maybe, and then you die because Smo was behind you the whole time. Surprise, here's a hammer. Well, and, you know what I mean? I think I think too, AJ, you know, one of the things that encourages people to think about the game in that way uh, in, in terms of just like mechanically having to pull off all of these very difficult actions in sequence and that that is the true way to play the game has yeah. a lot to do with uh the fact that it is a common speed running game and not not saying yeah. anything bad about speed running i think it's really cool and i think that yeah. the things that people are able to pull off in speed runs is really cool but i think that the fact that it is such a high profile game for speed running has led and, and because the speed runs are so technical and unlike many other games you can't speed run it with a bunch of glitches you have to actually get good to be good at speed running you know yeah. uh, a game like dark and, souls and, and aj and i were looking at get good memes today and they're all just deeply fucking cringe right they're hideous abominations they remind me of nfts just, in a very they, real way <laughs> <laughs> they're the bored apes of 2014 yeah these guys are just making a picture that says get good and that alone they think is hilarious god and there's just nothing there, but it's about belonging to this community of of the good getters. Yeah, yeah. To, and, to the point where even like when when the when Doom came out, the what is it, 2016? Yeah, Doom. There was this infamous moment where 
Polygon released one of those first 30 minutes of gameplay. Yeah. Oh, uh, and yeah. And the, the guy, like, like yeah. whoever was playing it just isn't good. Oh, that person was so at, bad at the game. It's really yeah, funny. not good at first person shooters. It's, it's very funny. And, like, I'm sorry to whoever that was. That's It's too bad. It's a funny video to watch. Because it, it, it's like how I would play it. <laughs> I don't blame the but, person. I blame the editor who was like, yeah, this is right. good enough. You, show, you don't publish the video. Yeah. You don't put that out. But this created a culture war yeah. incident yeah. 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 where no less than illustrious journalist Jesse Single. Oh, God. Wrote about it in, in New York Magazine. Guest, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Is. For sure. Oh, I thought I thought he I thought it, I thought he was show. Actually. Is he, isn't he Jesse? Um, it's complicated now. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's really good. You son of a bitch. I yeah. Oh, I, I saw it. I saw he changed it I on Facebook. It. Yeah. I, okay, I get it. No, actually he's definitely he's more like Jesse divorced as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Very divorced energy at all times for many years. <laughs> the most freshly divorced man in history. Um Yeah, so he he wrote a whole piece about it and then there was like a something in paste about it and and like it was just like that was it coming to a head. I think Google searches for get good peaked in yeah. 2016. Um, people were really running with this as as part of the besieged. As, as I like to bring up, this always connects back to the the aggrieved gamer TM uh, as an identity. And yeah. this absolutely did. And this game does not fucking deserve to be associated with that. Well, but yeah. anyway, we also and, like, and, and, not and, like well, these people were going off and playing like pathologic one after this, right? A game. That yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Fucking brutal. Something like, that's interesting to me about this as well. The fact that, you know, it's all happening around 2016, that this mm. is something that has been created largely by Americans who, brought over and, and in many ways kind of resuscitated the general popularity of this type of game from something that was a Japanese franchise that they thought wouldn't be able to come over because how would you localize it? How would you make it interesting to a Western audience? Then what happens is an American audience picks it up and they turn it into this cultural totem so that they can have something that's theirs, that's free from the filthy casuals. And <laughs> as a result, this thing that ultimately should be viewed in its entirety, and you talk about this a lot, Trevor, about how like games are many faceted cultural objects. They don't just have one dimension to them, but instead right. it gets flattened. It gets completely oh, flattened 100%. along cultural lines. Mm -hmm. What we have here is basically uh, a bunch of guys who, yeah, are, are really all about their own little cool guys club. <laughs> they're all really good at this game. They're all really cool guys. They're all really I mean, cool like, guys. They're well, very that's the cool other guys. thing. They are cool. They are cool guys. God, they're so cool. They're cool, cool guys, and they all have a girlfriend. They and got the twin swords. That's right. It's the same they're doing one. flippy tricks. And, you know, they're not going to let they're, they're not going to let you into their clubhouse. Um, but you know what? Uh, fuck those guys, because I'm not actually all that interested. Like, I, I, I don't even like using clubhouse anyway. That's right, Brian. Um, <laughs> I think I think you put it an audio <laughs> only medium. Fuck off. I think you put it really well, um, Trevor, in, in, in when you were uh, writing about this in the book. That Honestly, like the get good discourse is, first of all, it just sucks. And it's also mm -hmm. it's a distraction, right? Like it, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah, it's not a really a real thing other than the extent to which there's a, some annoying reactionary people who want to make it. So instead, what I'm interested in talking about is what sort of mechanics this game pioneered, which we talked about a little bit. And, 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 and something that we raised when we were talking about this game, when we were sort of planning out this episode last night is 
this game sort of teaches you behaviors through its mechanics, which is something yeah. that a lot of yeah. great games do. I'm curious to hear your perspective, Trevor, on what sort of behavior this game teaches through its mechanics and how that compares and contrasts with how other games teach or encourage this kind of behavior or any behavior. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I think, you know, I think honestly, the way that this game teaches you is in a similar way to the way like kind of classic RPGs teach, which is to say like it teaches extreme caution um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and like loss, <laughs> loss avoidance. Like the idea of, of trying to never um, lose too much. Um, however, I also think like unlike video, unlike RPGs, like I would say unlike, um, I don't know, say uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. I guess RPGs isn't quite right, but like there are a lot of games that do this, right? Where like you don't want to die because you could lose your progress. Right. Like you want to get to a checkpoint first. Um, right. And those are all about getting to a certain point and then letting your... Um, your caution take over so you don't screw up um i think the thing the interesting thing about dark souls is it is twofold in that like it definitely encourages you to avoid risk up to a certain point and after that point you start getting irritated at the idea of avoiding risk and you just do it anyway <laughs> right right like, yeah the the game is hard because it encourages you to take dumb risks and then you yeah. die yeah um yeah. Like the most classic, uh, I won't say learned behavior because it's really like something you should unlearn um, and the game kind of encourages you to unlearn. But like it encourages you to do instantly is the um, the trying to get the last 10 on the boss thing. Um, yeah. You'll be able Don't to get do, greedy. No. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like you can do the whole mechanics of the entire fight. You can be really good at it. And like, well, this is again, like kind of where it comes down to like it's not really about get good is like you can be extremely good at the boss fights and like get get it down perfect like picture perfect management of the of the mechanics and everything and then your brain clicks in and says like just get it done kill this thing Absolutely. now do it do it do it and you just like go for a bunch of slashes and you're like i don't need to care about this yep. anymore i'm king of the world and then it kills Hammer. you instantly or or, right, yeah. it, or one example of that too i mean a much more advanced example but something that is is certainly an example you know i was watching uh no hit speed runs of this game and mm. There are people who have successfully run through not just this game, but also Demon's Souls and Dark Souls 2 and 3 and Bloodborne. All five of the games back to back to back to back to back to back without taking a single hit, which is yeah, extraordinary. But yeah. again, in order to get to that point, you need to suppress that feeling of, well, let me just cheese this real quick. And you need right. to do it yeah. in the most profound way. I mean, that that is, is the ultimate example of mastering and, the and mechanics of the game. Speaking of the stupid risks that the, the game teaches you to do, one of the things that makes part of the beginning such a slog when you're fighting the Taurus demon, which is probably like too hard, um, it really <laughs> wants to says that. <laughs> Well, yeah, you can, good. You, you can do the plunging attack on it, which is, I think he's one of, that's, it's him and the Asylum Demon, right? Are the two oh, plunging attack bosses? the Capra Demon. No one the says the Taurus the, Demon is too hard. Well, the Taurus Demon is not that the demon itself is hard. It's that it brings you all the way back to Firelink Shrine and okay, you have yeah, to go through, well, it doesn't bring you, sorry, it does not bring Berg. you back to Firelink. It brings you back to uh, the, under the bridge. Undead Berg, yeah. In the upper Undead Berg. And you have to run through that to get back to him and you're still learn I mean a hard boss versus a not hard boss it's still going to kill you in about 4 hits 
and um, you have to make quite a gauntlet to to get up there. Yep. Yeah. And what the game is trying to teach you there is that, first of all, yeah, you've learned how to handle all of these enemies now. Now you have to learn that you can run past them. <laughs> Yeah, right. You can right, avoid right, exactly, almost yeah. all of them all the time. And, and so that that becomes like part of the mechanic, right? It's teaching you, you you know the lay of the land, now learn how you can exploit it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's also a, a thing that uh, one of the complaints I have about the original Dark Souls, a game that I actually do unabashedly love, um, is that the runs to the bosses are incredibly long. And since you're not yeah. very fast, they take... A long time, and uh, most of the time, is, there are way too many enemies in the way between you and the boss, and it discourages you from trying to fight the boss again, because you're like, God, yeah, I don't want to yeah. have to run for five minutes all the way through the poison swamp to fight the f- the, the boob fire spider again. Like, I don't want to, like, have to do that every <laughs> single time. see the boobs! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're uh, not even see the boobs! Her ass in the way! I, and I, I feel that way... Um, this is a personal thing where it's just like Josh. It's just like I just don't like this. I don't like this as a mechanic. I don't like this as a feature where the the checkpoint is always so far away from the boss. Yeah, because I think the interesting thing about the boss is figuring out the boss, and you're bogging yourself down with all this stuff. Like one, of, there's a really hard boss at the beginning of the DLC in Dark Souls. That's the like Manticore thing that you fight. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, the guardian, lion, scorpion, dude. But the checkpoint is immediately in front of it. So you die, you get a chance to try it again, just yeah. without dealing with any other bullshit, and it be- it became my favorite boss fight in the whole game. Well, this is also famously what people hated about Dark Souls 2 for no good reason, which, and, and you know, there are some places where it's like, okay, like, calm down, you don't need this many checkpoints, and it, it, <laughs> in the same way that it's like, calm down, you don't need this many bosses, right? Yeah. Like, that, that game <laughs> right. was, like, chock full of bosses. Oh, um, we heard you like bosses. Yeah. Like, you okay. want more? <laughs> Free skins of bosses. Here's just Ornstein. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> no. Where's Smo? <laughs> Here's Ornstein and Smo and the third one. <laughs> They're in a thruple now. <laughs> They're poly. They are, and so a, are they, we. They are a loving polyamorous triad. <laughs> um, Smo's a good the, smoocher. Um, but yeah, like the 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 thing about the thing about Ornstein and Smo or the thing about. God. The thing about um, the thing about Dark Souls are you in a like, thruple? Call Orange Seed and Snow, attorneys at law. We handle polyamorous divorces. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get Anne Orlando in the settlement or your money back. Oh Don't call my name. Don't call my name, Anne Orlando. <laughs> Later on, one of them is going to die in a helicopter accident. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was it, Selino or was it Selino? Selino, no, yeah, just it was. Oh, no. I didn't know that. No, it was Barnes. Barnes died. Yeah, Barnes died. They they both died doing what they loved, suing each other. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. That's sad for both Selino and Noble. Oh god, this is we're deep into the New York lore right now. I just realized I was like, oh, this uh, is like this is like New York one style. Yeah, yeah. I was well, Barnes and Noble. I, I have to bring this up. I was looking. Up, I was watching some old uh, home videos when I, when I was back with my parents. And we had one where we must have just taped over something that we had taped on TV for the camera. And uh, so it would cut between like actual home videos and then like a rerun of mass or something. (laughs) And at one point (laughs) there was a a commercial for some lawyer in Oklahoma. And I was like, I've, 
I wonder what this guy's deal is. I wonder if he's dead right now. And so I Googled him, and I found out that he's now a sex offender. Nice. <laughs> oh, boy. He could have been then, too. True. Yeah, he probably was. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, that's what it sounded the classic, like. It's just that the classic he has lawyer, the legal status of a sex offender. The classic now. lawyer to sex offender pipeline. You hate to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's true. Um, no, but I think like, you know, Dark Souls 2 famously was like was was can like absolutely into giving you tons of checkpoints. And the reason it gave mm. you tons of checkpoints was maybe I should play that one then. Yeah. I mean, it was specifically because people were like, why? Why am I constantly doing boss runs? Um, yeah. yeah. And like if you get if you get like deeply sick of of doing the the run, you can if you kill the enemies enough, they disappear forever. And people were like, this sucks. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. also they were like, I'm glad I don't have to keep doing right. this. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think the best balance of that uh, is actually in the third game. In Dark Souls 3, I think the boss runs are some of the easiest and smallest in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the, I'm sorry, in the whole series. The series. It's interesting, yeah, Trevor, sure. that you, you bring up how conditioning sort of comes about as like offering a sort of contradiction. Mm. Where it's like, yeah, don't take the risk. Do take the risk, right? Here's a shield. <laughs> Stop using the shield. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the first time I ever encountered, uh, the first example that I have seen historically of a game being like, there's a way that we want you to play this was Daggerfall. Mm. Um, yeah. Ooh, interesting. Where they had a note that came in the box that said, uh, Play through your mistakes. That's a quote. Play through your mistakes. Don't just save at every lucky point and then go back to it. But like anyone who's played Elder Scrolls knows that's actually the right way to play the game is just keep saving. Because yeah, save, unfortunately, yeah. save forever. <laughs> the main consequence in an Elder Scrolls game usually is just that you died, which just brings you back to your last save anyway. Right. There are things that you can, I don't know, complicate or uncomplicate, but like playing through your mistakes in an Elder Scrolls game is not as interesting as playing through your mistakes in Dark Souls or Pathologic 2 or uh, Hades, of course. Um, right. And I thought it was interesting because I was I listened to your episode a while back with uh, Kevin Snow, Trevor. Mm, yeah. And they were talking about when they were working on translating Path 2, how at sort of the end of the queue is all the, the scenarios where there has been failure. And knowing the experience yeah. of writing that stuff out, knowing that people won't want to see it. Yeah. And um, path one has, has a problem where it's like, yeah, you, 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 you die, you go back to your save, whatever. And also a lot of the ending outcomes only come if you've played perfectly and healed everyone. Right. Yeah. You otherwise get the same sort of little uh, FMV at the end of the game, no matter how well you've done, unless you've done everything perfectly. And then you also get the extra special ending if you've saved everyone else's guys, too, from the other two playthroughs. Oh, okay. Um, Where Pathologic 2 does not do that, right? The ending is contingent on on different factors, and so individual failures lead to different story outcomes within the game. Like, Icepick Lodge figured out, oh, yeah, this is how we can condition people to keep playing. And one of the big ways that they did that was by killing you, they change all of your saves. Mm. Um, which is what which is what breaks the console yeah, so, version so, of Pathologic 2 in so, Twain, as I found out twice. So, so with Pathologic 2, when you die, uh, specifically that one type of fail state, not just you fail to, to rescue someone from the plague or, or something, when you die the game reduces some aspect of your character, right? It lowers your health permanently. It lowers your uh, stamina, thirst capacity, you know, 
um, your hunger permanently. Yeah. And it does so in every save game. But an unintended consequence of that is that the console version of Pathologic 2 still pretty glitchy. AJ has had his entire game erased twice <laughs> because I, it corrupted all the files. First time I was on day three, it had only That's been a few hours, and I was like, rough. okay, this is fine. The next time I was on day 10, I had saved everyone. I was like, I, I was like, I was walking on sunshine. I had all the, I had, killing I had a yeah. giant loaf of bread. I was going to make it to the end, and the game just went, you're done. So yep. the moral the moral of this story is always play on PC. That's that's yeah. basically well, what the, this comes yeah. down. What, Not what, all of us have Pathologic, one, Josh. <laughs> yeah, Josh, they're very expensive. What Pathologic 2 then convinces you to do is either go in and change your sliders down or never fucking play the game again. Yeah. Right. And and with Elder Scrolls, you have a game that's very glitchy and weird shit happens all the time for no reason. Um, so that's why you're going to be saves coming anyway. It's not because of your own failures. It's because of failures that are unfortunately a part of the game. Right. It's, it's not. It's play through your failures, not play through our failures. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I would love to talk about failure uh, as a mechanic in Dark Souls because yeah. I think the greatest secret of Dark Souls, if I could impart one thing to our audience about this game, is that souls don't matter. Mm-hmm. Death does not matter. Yep. Nothing in this game ultimately matters except that you keep playing it because yep. there will always be more souls there will always be more uh obstacles to overcome but you can throw your head against that wall and eventually they will crumble and i think except th- for the four kings except can, for the four kings which is a bullshit battle there just, yeah, just get through that one also to get to I dark just... ending you have to kill them before you actually like set the yeah, lord vessel wild. and you are way too <laughs> low a level it's it's very much a new game plus thing anyway that's regardless of that but i i think there's something really beautiful <laughs> In sort of this idea that a game that is notorious for being so, so difficult is ultimately just about throwing up your hands and being like, the world is dying. There are some things I cannot control, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to keep trying. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I think I think ultimately and like, you know, narratively speaking, like the end of the game basically gives you a choice of, you know, are you going to are you going to keep doing this like, you know, like relink the fire and bring back the dying world or are you kind of like yeah. doing a new thing and like both are equally um like while while there is a right answer to uh de-link the fire um yeah there is also <laughs> yeah. it is also true that like any answer you give is extremely depressing like mm-hmm. none of it none of it's good like it's all it's yeah. all an extremely like dire choice like any any choice you make is like yeah it's it's the end of the world basically we're either gonna like end it now or kind of limp it along for another couple of years. Yeah, Trevor, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you raised the the ending and the branching narratives of the ending, you know, because I actually just finished listening right before recording to uh, episode 200 of No Cartridge. And what? No, that's a terrible. Don't. don't. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's a good podcast, folks. Classic podcast. Really great. Everybody should listen to it. We're um, in a feud. I don't want to. <laughs> Wait, the worst of all possible worlds is in a feud after, with no cartridge? After, no, 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 I'm in a feud with no cartridge. I don't like oh, after the, the Chrono Trigger event of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with you people. <laughs> Alternately, friendship ended with no cartridge. Worst of all possible worlds is my new Wait. best friend. Wait, yeah, right, yeah. but, but but who gets custody of Prompto? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets to play as Prompto. That's right. I know, so, but we only get him on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what I was going to say, Trevor, is like, 
you talked a lot in that episode about about endings and, and, and what mm-hmm. they mean, you know, yeah. it, because in that episode, you kind of talked about how and I certainly think that we've been feeling some of these things as well. You know, you get to the end of a year, you get to the end of what feels like a cycle and you take a moment where you sit down and you're like, OK, so what are we really doing here? And <laughs> yeah, I know. How do you. For sure. so, so then I thought it was so interesting how you talked about how like, yeah. You've done some stuff that's worked. You've done some stuff that in retrospect you wish you'd done differently. Uh, and you want to do more of the stuff that's going to feel good going forward. And because this game and its ending is ultimately going to be kind of depressing no matter what. Yeah. How do you take that and how do you move forward from it? Well, so, I mean, the one thing to say is the end of Dark Souls is extremely depressing, but it's also sort of a, a perfect distillation of that perspective. Like if you if you want to take that perspective, I don't know, seriously in terms of like playing it in a video game, it which is, of course, different than taking it seriously in your life, in your day to day life. But like if you want to take that perspective seriously within a video game, Dark Souls is one of the better places to do it insofar as the perspective you end up getting in Dark Souls is, you know, it, the uh the world is is dying so you can either take the choice to like you know okay we're gonna keep the dying world a little bit i'm a little worried about losing what i got or you can just say you know what what's what's next what can we do what can we do right and i think that like that's that impulse to say like what's next what can we do is where you can actually um kind of produce something interesting right like you can say like yeah i don't i don't feel like we can um like, I don't feel like we can properly have Lord Rand exist anymore, or I don't feel like we can properly. I don't think it's right to link the fires or, um, you know, restore the king, restore King Allen in, uh, in, in, in demon souls or like whatever. So I'm going to end it or like, you know, whatever it is like, um, you know, the, the, the rel like the relative sort of like benefits of those things end up being like, um, you can you can take those and say, like, I want Lord Dran to keep to stay around. I want to link the fires. I'd like to accomplish what Gwyn accomplished. But, you know, in your heart, it's just a it's a half measure. Yeah. You're just kind of like you're, yeah. you're playing out the strength or you do the scary thing and say, like, no, like, I I don't want to I don't want to be the person who keeps this going. I'm going to be the person who stops it. The bigger risk. Right. It doesn't really matter what you do in a lot of ways. Yeah, like right, the end of the right. game is the end of the game. I mean, it it's a video game it's limited in in technical scope and like only giving you what you in fact have in the video game it can't like then make procedural realities that you know link after it but um it is a choice that kind of reflects that that Mm -hmm. element of like yeah you have a depressing choice to make but one is the depressing choice that gives you the same thing over and over and over again and one is the depressing choice that gives you a risk that leads to something new and that is like pretty interesting to me. That question of like, is it possible to build a better future or do you just give up on the whole thing? And AJ, I know when we were talking about this, when we were setting up the episode, I think you had some thoughts about this as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just the idea of if you choose not to link the fire, if you link the fire, you're siding with Gwyn. It is this idea that you side with the lords and that the uh, the age of fire must be prolonged because it's it's either that or like oblivion. Right. But to take the dark ending is actually to embrace humanity. Humanity Mm -hmm. has been infected with the dark sign. That is the plague that turns them undead. And it's just like. These people, like the Gwyns of the world, threw you into an asylum 
to just <laughs> die and be reborn and die over and over again. And the mm-hmm. game goes to great lengths to show you that this world is dying anyway. So why not live in a world that you could actually thrive in? Why right. would you ever link the flame to continue the charade of Anne Orlando? You know what I mean? To pretend that there's light when really it's just oblivion anyway. Um, which but even that even that knowledge that it's just oblivion is like you kind of have to jump through some hoops to get there. Yeah. 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 You have to beat the four Kings severely under leveled to talk to a giant serpent who tells you, Hey, everything's bullshit. Did you know everything's bullshit? It's it's interesting too, that, that the age of darkness is not, is not the world itself vanishing. It's the beginning of a new age, you know, the age of dragons ended as well. And mm-hmm. so now the age of the lords will also end and become the age of snakes. Yeah, sense fortress, funny flesh mustaches. Oh, and- they have such silly mustaches. <laughs> in Dark Souls Three, you do get to see a world that is gone into darkness. That is in the age of darkness. In the untended graves, you get to see what the world looks like. The sky is pitch black. Wraiths have taken over, but there is still a society. Do you know what I mean? Like the world continues on in the darkness. Uh, it's just it's an alternate timeline. So like, you know, it, it kind of has its cake and eat it, eats it too. like both endings are both true at the end of Dark Souls, um, according to their very convoluted well, timeline. That's that's the interesting thing about like if you if you follow the continuity of Dark Souls being you know, Dark Souls 2 being a direct sequel to one and three being a direct sequel to two is that they're so far ahead in time. Yeah. At the age where the world is decaying again. You could have made either decision. But time yes. has erased it completely. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's I agree. And I think like that's something that happened that I really liked about Demon Souls to Dark Souls as well, in that like the decision you make at the end of that game is very similar, but also the difference between those worlds, like is it linked? Is it not linked? Same with Lordran yeah. versus Drank Lake and, and Dark Souls one versus two. Like it's it's so hard to figure out the links between these two things that it's like yeah, your decision mattered at the moment, but doesn't matter to you now. Like it is a totally new yeah. sort of question. And that also brings up the same thing, which is like one of the things I wanted to talk about with endings in that in that episode was, you know, thinking about the endings of podcasts and particularly like the endings of true crime podcasts and with like, well, maybe yeah. we didn't maybe truth never existed. Maybe, you know what, after we didn't solve this case, <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if mysteries just aren't real. Like it's 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 always <laughs> It's always like to the benefit of like, hey, you know, we gave it our best shot. And really, in the end, reality failed us. Right. And it, yeah. it's just like it's such a bad way of <laughs> I understanding often blame reality when things wow. don't go my way. Yeah. So but you're I, right. Not. Yeah. No, but like it is. It is one of those things where like you have to stop and say, like, not only do I have to like take stock of what I've done and what I like and don't like about the projects that I've done or the world that I'm in or the things, you know, the life that I've led or whatever. And that's like a healthy thing to do. It's also that you have to say, like, yeah, you know, I have to take stock of the fact that, like, the the choices that I made as, like, you know, bookends to periods of time or, like, a thing that I've done that had, like, a distinct ending might not look the same five years down the line. <laughs> right. And, like, mm. that's not just because, like, you know, I messed up or someone else messed up or whatever. It is, in fact, like, these things change. And you have to think about them again. And Dark yeah. Souls yeah. does present that yeah. to you where it's like, yeah, you made that choice. Um, but this is a different place in a different time in a different era. Your choice was made and a million other choices were made. And so like now you got another set of options. That's why I think it's so interesting 
because we talk about the 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 insignificance of a single person or whatever in in Dark Souls, and I, when I started to play Dark Souls, the the first few go rounds that I was having in that game, uh, I wasn't online. I was just playing it completely offline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first and Bloodborne I, playthrough. And then too, I yeah. played it online, and I was like, "This is a completely different game." Even oh, if yeah. I'm not, no, even 100%. if I don't have humanity in hand, and I don't, I'm not summoning people over. Uh, I don't feel anywhere near as small or vulnerable as I did before. I can see people sitting next to the shrine next to me. Right, my Estus flask somehow gets a, an extra charge because someone filled theirs up next to me you know we get a little bug that is someone else's lost souls you see um, somebody you see somebody running past you with much better gear and you're like where, <laughs> where did they get that <laughs> i gotta and find then one of those into the mist and yeah. then you and especially in a time when there are more people playing you can summon help and there's a risk to that sure yeah. because people can show up and fuck you up part of the legend you talk a little bit about the myth making of of dark souls yeah. and part of that legend is is Miyazaki talking about how how he was on a trip and they were up in a snowy mountain and you know other people came along and would push cars up and he wondered about the people who were behind who helped who he'd never see mm. again but clearly whether that's something he actually experienced or not it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a great illustration right where it's like really the way forward isn't at the end of the day about whatever you do with the fire it's yeah. about the fact that people can come together and and push each other forward yeah yeah no for sure and i think you know that's that's ultimately kind of like at the core of all the myth making like the other one where he you know he says like oh you know i, I wrote this like the sort of half remembered truth like ideas yeah. in, in the game are from like i you know i i didn't know english and i was reading fairy tales in english like you know whether yeah. or not that's true or not it's it is like it's a truth in the game itself like the myth is yeah. is yeah. reflective of like something that happens in the game and i think there's something like something kind of nice and mythical in a sort of ur myth sort of way where like any sort of myth or story about ourselves is true in one way or another right and, yeah. and Miyazaki. Yeah. Whether or not he's telling the truth or not is adding to the patina of Dark Souls by producing these ways it connects with the real world. It's interesting because Dark Souls has had all of these imitators. You know, Hollow Knight or this or that game. Hollow Knight is the one that comes to mind because that's one I've played and it's actually very good. I love Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight's great, yeah. doesn't have that component to it, right? You have the dead world. You have the things that you drop that you have to get back if you die. But you don't have that element there there was some free game on playstation plus i know aj you were playing it i played a little bit of it where you oh is that um yeah um the mortal mortal shell mortal skeleton mortal shell mortal shell yeah oh that was what i was thinking of i was thinking of uh what is it uncle death was the the one uncle death Death is (laughs) uncle death is from let it die let it die that sounds like a nickname for smo (laughs) yeah no no let it die was like a weird free game that was a little yeah. Soulsy. Yeah, yeah. So oh, cool. now there's a whole genre of games that are just there to imitate a Souls game, a Bloodborne type game. And that really saturated um, too, like the criticism of, you know, you know, this is the Dark Souls of blank. Uh, yeah. Completely mm-hmm. missing yeah. what that means, like what Dark Souls yeah. actually is. Well, and just some of the imitations do know what it means. Hollow Knight knows yeah. exactly what it's doing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Salt um, and Sanctuary, I also think, is a really good Souls-like yeah. game. But they, they all... 
for the most part, lack that component, lack the the asymmetrical online, right? The, the only other game I've played outside of this series that has that component is Death Stranding, which is a totally different right. kind of game. Yeah, right. a very different sort of... Uh... Very a great application sort of, of that. Yeah, yeah. right. Yes. But it is a different type of game. It is a strand type game. <laughs> well, I think whether whether we're talking about, you know, uh, Dark Souls or Death Stranding or, or, or really any other game um, or any other part of life, it is ultimately we're going to have a slightly better time getting through the worst of all possible worlds if we all do it together because you know what mm. at least we go down together right <laughs> or maybe we there you go so, you can summon any one of us for the ornstein and snow battle and exactly. i will die instantly but i'll be there for you <laughs> um trevor was there anything that you wanted to sort of like wrap up with in terms of last thoughts or is there anything you want to pitch or anything like that no I, well i'll pitch i'll uh i think you all had quite lovely last thoughts so i don't want to step on any of those um I will say you can listen to my podcast at No Cartridge. You can find my book. It's called Story Mode. And it's fucking it's really incredible. good. Oh, thank I, you. I actually was I was not sure how I was going to feel going into it because I, I didn't know how academic it was going to be. And I'm illiterate. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> then I was re and then I, I was I read it. I read it. I read the whole thing. And I was just like, yeah, this rocks. This is oh, great. Thank it's a great you. book. Everyone yeah. should get it. It really, everyone, really every, does. Everyone on Earth. Everyone on Earth should have wow, this book. I hope so. Yeah. Six billion people. That's right. Well, uh, I'll retire then. I'll never write another book. <laughs> it's going to never hear from me again. It's going to be genuinely wild when like you better still podcast, though, because we got to keep this feud up. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Some, no, some it was a feud clip. Me and myself. I love you guys. It's going to be genuinely wild when, <laughs> except uh, for me, because of the Chrono Trigger. When book number two is the warning. Bible and book number one is story mode. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm yeah, the worst. Well, you know, I got my Lennon. I got my John Lennon quote uh, ready, ready for that. You know, awesome. Yeah, and and I, and I think that yeah, Dark Souls is a story about. Uh, you are called the chosen undead, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't remember his story name. about Christ, right? No, I yes, it. this is. Uh, you know who? You know oh, who else? Yeah, had a dark who else was the chosen undead? The Lord. I'm gonna turn my yoga ball around and sit backwards on uh, it now. What was? Uh, okay, <laughs> I always get his name wrong. Um, Astora, the, the the first night. Oh yeah, Astor uh, uh, Mark Artorius. Mark, uh, no, no, the the first guy who drops the thing, yeah, uh, yeah, Oscar oh, Pistorius, Oscar yeah. Pistorius, yes, yes. yes. Sorry, I thought yeah. you were um, talking about our friend in the uh, in the DLC. Uh, oh no, no, no. Oh, okay. um, yes, no. Uh, so uh, Oscar like comes and he's like he believes that you are the chosen undead who will go and like save yeah. everyone. And the yep. entire game after that is proving what bullshit being a chosen one is entirely. <laughs> yeah, because you're not the chosen Absolutely undead. You sucks. don't. Yeah. You don't get through it by yourself most of the time you always have help along the way yeah. it is a video game that you know most are power fantasies right and it is a game that takes away all the power from you and says the only way you can be powerful is if you have a community behind you supporting you along the way and right. i think when faced with a dying world not only in dark souls but in real life kind of too oh not just kind of <laughs> that's that's We're a really fine. good. We're doing great. That's yeah. a really good philosophy to take going forward. Is that the mm -hmm. way? Even if the world might be ending, you can at least help someone else along the way. Oh, I did, I did, I did, I did, I did, I did. With with that, with that, uh, I am the worst of all possible Joshes. I'm the worst of all possible AJs, and I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. 
I once went to Lord Ran. There was a man named Gwen. He gave me a bucket. I gave him a pen. How was that? You gave him a pen. Why did you give him a pen? I don't. It rhymed. I didn't plan this. That's good. That's good. It's great. Thank you. It's great. I'm a natural lyricist. Folks, that's another one. Once again, we'd like to thank Trevor Strunk for coming on, listen to his podcast, No Cartridge, and check out his book, which is called Story Mode. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons at Patreon. That's right. This podcast is listener-funded, which means that it's brought to you by subscribers such as Anne Houston, Vrunt, Jacob Coles, Emily Robinson, and as always, a special thank you to Ashley Stoneman, Dara Swisher, Hannah White, Nikola Donov, Silverbear909, and Timmy Sexton. Have a good one. <laughs>